Whilst Rory was lighting up fireworks with Marseille fans outside the Spurs hotel, Serie C managers were causing havoc by throwing for Kachina. One thing's for sure though, football is never dull. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian podcast. My name is Adam and I'm joined by my good friend, Andy. Fantastic. Now, as you can see, unfortunately, we're not joined by Rory this week. Uh, he had to be called away. However, we will do our very best job to uh, cover off all the key stories that took place this week, as well as preview the week ahead, as well as the weekend, more to the point. Um, but before we go any further, Andy, how has your week been? Yeah, it's been a busy one, to be fair. Um, yeah, quite busy with work and things like that. But um, yeah, happy to be sit here, sit, sat here on a Thursday night as normal, uh, talking about the football. So yeah, how are you, mate? Yeah, keeping well, keeping well. I have to say, it seems like it's the quiet period before the storm happens, because I think we've got a hell of a lot of football to look forward to in the weekend itself. But yeah, keeping well, thank you. So um, I suppose let's delve into it um, and we'll... Uh, go into the Champions League that took place this week. Um, so obviously it was the conclusion of a lot of these group stages um, for a lot of the teams that we anticipated. Um, pretty much foregone conclusion, it has to be said. Um, so if I just run down the teams that have qualified to the next stage and we'll kind of talk about the key kind of stories that took take place over the last few days. So in Group A, we've got Napoli and Liverpool that have qualified. Ajax have qualified for the Europa place. In Group B, we've got FC Porto, top of that group, ahead of Club Bruges. Club Bruges who have done amazingly well and Leverkusen did qualify for the Europa spot ahead of Atletico Madrid, which was a bit of a surprise to many. Group C, we saw Bayern Munich and Inter Milan qualify for the next stages. Barcelona get that sole Europe, Europa League spot, should I say. Group D is where we said it was going to be quite feisty. So we did see Spurs, much to the heartache of Rory and Frankfurt, qualify for the next stages. Sporting Lisbon did qualify for the Europa League spot. Uh, surprising that, I thought they would be the ones that would control the second place, but Frankfurt pulled it off. Um, looking at Group E, Chelsea and Milan, not surprised there, I suppose, but Salzburg were the Europa spots. And then in Group F, we've got Real Madrid and Leipzig ahead of Shatka Donetsk. Group G, we've got Man City, Dortmund and Sevilla, surprisingly claiming that Europa spot. And then finally in Group H, Benfica, top of this group, believe it or not, ahead of PSG and Juventus, just crawling over the line to make it into Europa League spot. Um, Andy, if I just pass it over to yourself, what was the kind of call-out game for yourself this week? Well, the most hilarious one uh, was uh, Real Madrid and... Um... Celtic. So, mm. like I said, it was a it was a full conclusion in terms of the ramifications to have the group. So there was never going to be any change in that one. Uh, but there was three penalties given. Um, I believe the referee that um, that ref the game was. I think it was the first one to be um, first woman to be managing a Champions League game to my knowledge. Um, so that was quite a historical event in itself. Uh, but yeah, there was some hilarious defending there was two handballs which uh, resulted in penalties um <laughs> which Rodrigo and Luka Modric who became the oldest um I think the oldest 
player to score a penalty in the Champions League. I think there's a correct stat with that one. I mean, he just keeps going like he's uh, he doesn't age that bloke. Um, <laughs> you know, Vinicius Junior had <laughs> missed from like far four or five yards and was able to laugh about it. Mm. Um, don't think he'll get too many more occasions in which he can get away with that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, it was um, it was dead say game. I think. No, I think Celtic have given it a go, um, but mm. a bit like they have in the other games, they just don't take their chances and then they get ruthlessly exposed at the back. Um, I think the game was more or less over on there. The, the um, consolation by Yotta, uh, the Portuguese winger, I think was was good, to be fair. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel that, um, you know, especially against the, res- the results against Shakhtar Donetsk, um, I mm. feel... They, they probably feel they could have done better in those games. Uh, but, you know, they, they've backed the Champions League, but they, so I guess they'll just yeah, go exactly. again next year. Exactly. Has there been any kind of sides that you were surprised that didn't progress to the next stage? Um, I mean, thinking well, about it on the spot, Atletico Madrid seems to be the biggest shock out of the yeah, group stages abso- at this stage. Yeah, absolutely. Because anyway. I think when when those teams are put together, you you would have banked, because um, obviously Leverkusen haven't been without their problems in the Bundesliga this season. Um, you know, if, um, aside from Porto, you feel that they have the quality of players to do it. But mm. I, think, I think what you're seeing now is that maybe... Diego Simeone's style isn't quite working. They've got, you know, the likes of how Felix is quite, seems to be quite unhappy there. Like, it feels very much like it's a cycle coming to an end. Um, You know, I think they haven't played particularly well for quite a long time. And yeah, I think maybe maybe it wasn't a shock in the grand scheme of things, but certainly going back to August, um, I would have expected them to at least finish, you know, at worst second. so yeah, I think that will. I think that was the main shot that yeah. one. Other than that, I feel um, the other groups have gone where they have. I mean, a lot of people mm. said that it was a shot that Juventus had dropped down into Europa League. But you know, we've talked about Juve <laughs> yeah. a lot this season. Um, you know, I can't obviously Max Allegri is still in a job, so fair play. Most <laughs> <laughs> yeah. managers wouldn't have kept it, but I think because of the financial situation, they're forced to stop stick with him yeah definitely uh, yeah. so yeah i think there was a few shocks but if we're being honest like most of the groups have panned out more or less as i expected to mm. um and i think um the, the last 16 will be the interesting one because obviously one of the teams that has finished top is going to draw psg <laughs> in the next <laughs> round uh, and that'll be um you know Although PSG have only finished second, Messi's in the form of, you know, is um, in very good form at the moment. And despite mm. all the off the pitch nonsense, mostly involving Mbappe, um, they are playing quite good football at the moment. So, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And just to kind of touch on that group, I have to say Benfica look an outsider at this stage. Um, I don't know if you saw any of the goals against Maccabi Haifa, but they were clinical. They were absolutely clinical and they're on a fantastic run with Roger Schmidt in charge. I mean, is there any other kind of sides that you think that are outside of the regular kind of speculative kind of group of maybe teams that you expect to maybe be at the latter stages of this Champions League that you think might challenge at this point? Well, I think you, you can't obviously discount um, AC Milan. Uh, they've qualified mm. for their first knockout group since um, 2011. Um mm. 
the are the reigning um, the are the reigning Serie A champions as well. So although they've had a bit of a tricky week in the league, uh, their Champions League performance has been very very solid. I think apart from their games against Chelsea, which are probably unlucky in both occasions, um, in what is essentially a one off game, I felt mm. that they could put a performance together. Um, and also Porto as well. They they seem to get written off every year. the quarterfinal ever. I mean, I've been watching a few. Um, I mean, their goalkeeper, um, Diogo, uh, he's very, very good. Uh, Diogo Costa for um, like 23 years old, you know, seen as the next sort of here to like Alisson, Edison mm. and that kind of thing. And sort of like Manchester United have been linked with heavily. Um, so, yeah, I think, what about you? Uh, who do you think you'll be your potential surprise package? Oh, I don't know. I have to say, looking at other sides, I mean, with the exception of Milan, I would possibly say Benfica, just purely because of what I saw on that. Uh, I think it was on yesterday's evening's matches. Um, I thought they looked like quite short, and I appreciate it was only Maccabi Haifa, um, but they had a lot of kind of pace. They had a lot of maturity on the ball, and they just seemed to be just tacking like teams down and. I think it's interesting that they kind of reflected on Darwin Nunes being the only player to be sold this summer as kind of a blessing in that respect yeah. because they expected a few more players to be touted to be moving on. But that signing alone in terms of moving on meant that they could rebuild their squad, still add some quality keep and yeah. keep the players exactly. So for me, I think they really stand out as the potential like dark horses should we say i'm not very good at those predictions it has to be said you know that too well well i know um, i think ever, ever since we um predicted turkey as a dark horse in the, <laughs> yeah. uh, euros last year i feel like we're in no authority to uh um, definitely not, talk definitely about dark not. that doesn't mean we're not going to talk about it because no we've got <laughs> an opinion right it yeah, counts exactly. to a degree just don't, but, yeah. just don't go to the bookies <laughs> on our account whatsoever exactly exactly um, but Andy, I wanted to talk about Spurs as well. Um, so they did manage to get the result at the end of the day. They did beat Marseille 2-1 um, as Hoiberg, Hoiberg even should I say, was about to plant the second goal. You saw Igor Tudor screaming at his defence. I don't know if you saw the scenes of that at least. I mean, um, it, was, it wasn't happy. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's typical Marseille. They do have a habit of just absolutely fucking it. <laughs> in, in the last minute, they... They always do it. They they start off so encouragingly. Um, you know, obviously there was a lot of talk about um, you know ex Arsenal players in the lineup. There was also an ex uh, Newcastle player in the chance of November. So it was like a uh, Premier League year two thousand fifteen or something in Marseille at the moment. But um, no, I think. Um, it's really that uh, Hoiberg's been popping up with a few little goals lately, hasn't he? He's not he really, but yeah. he's not really much of a goal scorer, generally speaking. No, but, um, no, he's been um, very good. There's also on the side that a really good interview we talked about. You know, his dad passing away when he was really, mm. really young, and um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's one of those players that sort of warmed to me uh, <laughs> in recent um, in recent months. But yeah. I think yeah, given no, the last given the last minute drama of the Spurs game just a week ago in the Champions League, <laughs> I think he'll be very, very glad. Um he'll be very, very glad um that he's a good outcome there. 
No, definitely. And what draws me to this point is, do you think this result may kickstart their season? Because obviously they've been on this kind of dodgy run, it has to be said, because they have been playing fantastically. But when you look at their position, you're like, well, if someone didn't know how Spurs played, you go, they're a decent side. They're still in the Champions League. They're still within a shout of the top four in the Premier League, should I say. So you kind of look at it from an outsider point of view and go, they must be a good side, but we know this. They haven't been playing very well. That's a typical Conte style of football. Um, but do you think this might come at the right time for them? What, what do you think? I think the right time for them will probably be the um, the World Cup, and they get a bit of a break. Um, yeah. I th- it's difficult to say because they're very, very inconsistent. Um, mm. I think their struggle with Spurs has been able to put some performances together. But um, I think one thing you can't accuse them of not being able to do is find the net. We do usually do usually find the net in games. They had to come back win against Bournemouth. They've had to come back win against um, against Marseille as well. And um, we're probably you know, arguably chalked off one against uh, Sporting Lisbon. Um, mm. So I think there's there's definitely the team spirit and there's definitely the attacking ability to be able to do it. I think it's just uh, to do it on a consistent basis that's been the issue. I think the litmus test will be against Liverpool at home this weekend because generally speaking, they've done all right against the teams you would expect them to. Mm. Uh, but whenever you know in their games so far against you know big six or you know top half opposition in the likes of Newcastle, Man United, Arsenal, um, they haven't performed particularly well. So yeah, yeah, I think it's a difficult one to judge to be perfectly honest, because you don't know every time I watch Spurs, I don't you don't know what you're gonna get. Mm. <laughs> you're either gonna get the, the Spurs side that battered Leicester 6-2, or you're gonna get the one that you know were absolutely woefully against Manchester United um a week or so ago. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Um before we kind of conclude this Champions League section, um a word for our friend Craig, um Rangers, obviously. <laughs> The worst, officially the worst side at this group stage. Um, ever. Yeah. Ever. Um, yeah, I'm sure he's drowning his sorrows right now. Um, I don't know what to say. Uh, uh, Rangers, what, what did you make of their performance against Ajax? It's the same as been in the other five games. Mm. I mean, you know, I was talking about Celtic earlier, the fact that they've at least, you know, given it a go. Uh, whereas... They've just been shit. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no other way that you can put it. They've just not been good enough uh, from start to finish, and pretty much every single game they've, you know, they've conceded an early goal. I think apart from the first half against Liverpool, they've not looked in any way like being competitive. Mm. Um, and I think it's, I think that's a real shame because the European performances over the past couple of years have been good. But I think there's a lot of their players, you know, like the likes of like Tavernier. Um, yeah. You know, whose whose levels have dropped quite considerably. Yeah. Um, we didn't, you know, I've said before, we didn't refresh their squad as much as I no. thought they would. Because at the end of the day, they're still in their centre mid. You know, they're, they're rocking up in centre mid with Scott Arfield and Steve Davis, who were getting on a bit. That was their centre mid. Go what going back three years ago? They played yeah. Jamie Sands, who's an out of position midfielder. Um, you know, obviously apart from Kolak, he was probably the only real potential upgrade to the starting 11. Um, mm. It's largely the same team as it was la- last season. Yeah. You know, Adam McGregor, obviously still playing because um, obviously they tried briefly uh, with McLaughlin to um, give somebody else a go at the number one spot, but they haven't got anybody, you know, any sort of quality players. And I think 
I know a lot of fans are quite disappointed that we didn't invest as perhaps as much as they should have done. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think um, barring uh, a few good results and a result against Celtic, like I can honestly see um, Van Brockhorst being out of the job by the new year. Yeah, definitely looks like that. And just before we conclude this section, I wanted to add that the listener will probably see the news already, but we just saw it before we went in to record. Gerard PK has officially said he's going to retire, so he's going to have his last match this weekend. Andy, uh, thoughts on his career? I mean, is it going to be played by the last few years, or do you think he'll get credit for what he's achieved at Barcelona? Um, I, I think he deserves huge amount of credit for what he's achieved in his career he's won you know a couple of european championships he's won a world cup um he's won the champions league multiple times the league multiple times. he's one of the most decorated players um in premier league mm. well, sorry not premier league but in football in <clears throat> history and especially in barcelona i mean all right the past three or four years have perhaps haven't gone to plan but yeah. at his peak along with sergio ramos he was one of the best center backs in the world um, you know, he's a very good modern ball-playing centre-back. Um, he was even at United, Manchester United for a yeah. spell early in his career, and I felt that they he arrived probably a few years too soon for us to really make mm. much use out of him. But, um, yeah, I think... Um, I think he deserves a lot of credit. Apparently, he's gonna is the the game against um, this weekend against Granada. I think it is. It's gonna be his farewell, um, and I think yeah. he deserves it absolutely. I mean, not to mention off the pitch, he's you know he's helped Barcelona out financially by reducing his contract demands and you know sacking off his pay pay rises year on year. Um, he's very much you know a Catalan lad through and through, and I can. He's the sort of guy I could see being, you know, like a president of Barca in the future and things like that. Yeah. He's got quite an impressive business portfolio. Um, mm. So, yeah, um, now I think he deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, fair play. Right, let's move on to the preview. So this weekend, listener, we are blessed that we will have the FA Cup. So, yes, the famous FA Cup, Andy. Um, let's kind of get your thoughts on the FA Cup. What does the FA Cup mean to you? Oh, the FA Cup, I think, for me, I've always had a fondness for it. Um, I feel like it's a competition that, you know, you go out there to win. Um, you know, even as a Manchester United fan over the years, I know, I guess a lot of younger fans, you know, we're in our 30s, but I got a lot of fans maybe don't necessarily see the importance of it. But for me, I've always loved the FA Cup. It's given me some, you know, real, really, really fond memories over the years. If you you, you go back to um, Ryan Giggs in 1999, uh, that was one of my fondest memories. And then, you know, mm. my not so fond memories. I remember the 2005 FA Cup final, we battered Arsenal from start to finish. And we did this, <laughs> they did this on penalties. Uh, it was an absolute travesty that they won that. Um, you know, I remember we che got cheated out of a treble in 2008 because of when Portsmouth won it. But you've also got the other stories, I guess, as a Wickham fan, you've also got yeah. super fond memories of the FA Cup. Yeah, no, definitely. I remember going to a lot of those games during our famous FA Cup run in 2000-2001. So uh, just to give the uh, listener a bit of a backdrop, it was the season that a famous person from Teletext appeared in the quarterfinal stage to head the winner against Leicester City. Um, but that season, we 
previously hadn't gone any further than the third round of the FA Cup. So uh, when we played Grimsby Town on that particular run, um, it was amazing to kind of progress to the next stage, which was round four. Um, so we played Wolves in the snow, believe it or not. We had to clear the pitch um, just to make sure the game went on. And uh, amazingly, uh, we won that match 2-1. And yeah, I mean, for me, when I was watching that, I was just epic because we saw our match of the day, you know, the scenes. It was like glorious um, because you kind of at that point, I think the FA Cup had lost it, a bit of its nostalgia. Um, and I wonder, Andy, I'm sure we'll um, kind of talk about it, but is there an element that it's lost a bit of its prestige because of the amount of football that we're going through right now? And I think COVID has probably accelerated that maybe demand for better kind of t competitions, layouts, etc. Because we, we appreciate that the teams are going through a lot of fixtures at the moment and it almost takes a shine off the FA Cup because Rory mentions about the Coppa Italia only a few weeks ago and how, yeah, they do not give a shit in Italy. Uh, no. Whereas the FA Cup still holds a little bit of prestige because it's worldwide. It's kind of people around the world kind of look at this competition and look at the stories like a Wickham Wanderers. And then we're, we're going to go through a few of our picks, aren't we, Andy, about teams that potentially could cause a shock this weekend. But we were kind of trying to work out where are these teams from? Because we've never <laughs> yeah. heard of them. That's it's the beauty of the FA we, Cup. Yeah, it, no, really? we literally live in this country. And I've, I've, before we came in there, <laughs> I was just like, I've literally Googled on my search histories, where the fuck is Alverchurch? Yeah. <laughs> I've literally never heard of it in my entire life. Um, but uh, yeah, it's no, I, I think it has lost a little bit of its um, its shine because I think, and it's partly due to the amount of money that's in the Premier League, and that seems to ha have a knock on effect because mm. you know, uh, you've seen the likes of Wigan, for example, they won the FA Cup. Uh, but they dropped down into the championship, which led to financial ruin. And although the fans will have that memory forever, uh, the club chairman probably would have been, probably secretly would have probably just liked to have won the uh, stayed in the Premier stayed League. Up, yeah. And and that's and I, I think that's a difficulty with it because you know if you're a bottom of the table Premier League team or you're fighting it out for relegation and you've got limited resources and you've got a tough league game, you're kind of like well. You know, I'm going to put my. I've got a relegation dog fight on. I'm going to put out the reserves, or you know, uh, pick players who don't play so much and give an opportunity. And I think that's and you've seen a lot of that over the years. I mean, like the likes of like I see the likes of like Newcastle actively trying pretty much actively trying to get themselves knocked out <laughs> as soon as possible. Uh, but um, I think it depends on clubs. I think there are certain clubs out there that have always treated mm. the World Cup with the, I said World Cup then, FA Cup with respect. Like Chelsea always put out strong sides in the FA Cup and they've got a very good mm. record of winning it. Yeah. Um, Arsenal have always, you know, treated it with a lot of respect, generally speaking. I think Manchester United tend yeah. to do as well apart for the year they did play in it back in 2001 i remember <laughs> yeah. the i remember the which they've regretted since oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean that that was right oh there that one uh but uh yeah i think there's still a lot of teams that treat it fondly you know with Leicester city winning it not too mm. long ago as well um you know manchester city have always been quite competitive in it maybe because they've just got three or four squads they could put out but yeah i think um 
for me, all it needs to do with the FA Cup is just offer a Champions League place and you'll see a difference overnight. Oh, yeah, massively. Like, honestly, if you, if you say, if you win the FA Cup, you'll get Champions League football. You won't, you, you would not see a weakened side from a Premier League team at all. I can absolutely guarantee it. And that would be incredible mm. for the, um, the other teams that play them. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But no, I, I love it still. Um, every yeah. time I watch, every time I watch Manchester United in it, I've always looked at it. I've never, I've never once gone, oh, CFA Cup, I can't be arsed of this. But I'm, yeah. I'm like, oh, we could win this this season. This is a trophy. Um, and that's the way I've always treated it. Yeah. Do you think, like, I'm just thinking just broadly now, do you think we've got too many cup competitions? Because we've got the League Cup, we've got the FA Cup. And then if you think about the team like Man United, etc., they have the UEFA Cup, Europa Cups, should I say, sorry, Champions League. Then you've got the club competitions otherwise outside of that. I mean, do you think there's just too much football and is there kind of reforms that need to be done on these cup competitions just to make them a bit more competitive or just more yeah. enjoyable? Yeah, I've never, I've never been like a huge fan of the the Carlin Cup or League Cup, mm. if you just call it, because there's so many sponsors over the years. I've never been like a huge fan of it because, it, and if you look at most of a lot of other European countries, like Portugal declares in recent years, I think France have declared League Cup, and yeah. the rest of the countries just don't have that competition. I think you know there should always be a cup competition, a domestic cup competition, but I think. Um, the amount of games that are played then yeah i don't I've, I've long thought that's probably not really necessary um however i think there's also if i take my supporting a big club head off it there is also mm. the other side of it where well you know i've seen a lot of people go well my club you know in your case wickham they'll play 46 yeah. games a season just in the um league alone just yeah. alone then you've got the abomination that is the efl trophy which is adds <laughs> which is terrible <laughs> which is just adds i mean that should be scrapped as well yeah. um i mean that adds another few unnecessary games and then you've obviously got um you know the league cup and you've also got the fa cup so i think um it's a tough one because the lower league clubs will argue they play pretty much the same amount of games as most Premier League clubs do. Mm. Um, and they go, well, we put up with it fine. And they rely on the League Cup games and FA Cup games to bring in much needed revenue and TV money. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a, it's one of those things where whichever way you go about it, I think there's going to be a group of people that are unhappy. I would yeah. personally vote to scrap it, but I know for a fact there will be lots and lots of you know i'd scrap the i'll scrap the efl trophy i would scrap mm. the uh the league cup and just put the focus on the fa cup but i know there's probably a lot of people who support especially lower league clubs that probably disagree so well i don't know i think there is an element of we are playing too much football um certainly it's been highlighted that you know you're talking about the ecosystem as well and the amount of like energy that's been wasted you know from travel commutes and just the impact it has on players as well, you know, the recovery times are shortened because they've got more games to fit in. So I think there would be a general positive, but I appreciate for someone that nostalgically loves the cup competitions, I'm sure they're going to be a bit disgruntled. Um, so, yeah, we'll park that to the side, but we'll go through our games for the weekend that will take place with the FA Cup in specifically. So for you listeners, you might be hearing this and going, what's on that Friday night? Well, we have got to start off the giant, previous giant killers, Hereford, 
taking on the previous FA Cup winners, which is weird for me to shout out because they're in the same league as Wickham. It's Portsmouth. So that, that already is a juicy tie, Andy. But what are the other games that you picked out from this weekend as well? Well, with some um, there's there's some some you know top to bottom clashes. So you've got obviously Ipswich, one of the biggest clubs in um, League One um, mm. at the moment, playing a Bracknell Town who are in the Southern Premier League. So that is going to be you know obviously Ipswich have got a huge support and a lot of history. You know UEFA Cup winners, so they've got um, that's a massive. You know, massive, massive game for them. And then there's also a few where, as we discussed before, I literally have to Google. <laughs> yeah. uh, you've got the like Buxton and Murphy Town. And I was like, wait a second, Murphy Town? Like, but I think it is a diff- slight difference to Murphy Tidral. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I didn't I didn't think there was another Welsh team in the, um, in the, in the English system, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that'll be... A good one. Um, AFC Fylde and Gillingham. A Files have had some good FA Cup runs over yeah. the years. They do tend to have a habit of getting through to the first round. There's also some quite interesting local ones near me. So you've got MK Dons versus Taunton. Um, yeah. you know, like I said, uh, Somerset Club that are typically in the southern southern Premier yeah. League. I think I think maybe once or twice have been in the conference south. Um so there's been there's some great there's some great ones on there. Uh, I think Wicked ones versus Warsaw. That's quite a big game, really. Yeah. That's quite they're both um, you know both play both the higher ranked teams in in the league. And then yeah, the one I had to Google earlier, which was Cheltenham Town versus Alverchurch, which is actually reasonably <laughs> local um, in terms of proximity. Um, yeah, because Alverchurch, as I said, is a small parish town somewhere in Worcestershire. Uh, quite why they're playing in the Southern Premier League, I'm not 100% sure, but <laughs> I, I, I don't do non league pyramid for you. We will, yeah, we will have to cover pyramid. that time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think I think it's going to be some great stories over this weekend. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm very much looking forward. What games are you looking forward to on your side? Well, the ones in addition to the ones you said, so on Saturday we've got Chippenham Town versus Lincoln City. I expect Chippenham. Chippenham have got a history of like pulling off these shocks, so I do fancy that to be kind of maybe a game to watch out for. Charlton Athletic have got Colville Town. So, again, that could be a banana skin potentially for Charlton Athletic there. Um, But there's some big ones on Sunday. So we've got Ryan Reynolds, first taste of the FA Cup, it may be, uh, versus Oldham. I believe that's the televised game. We've also got Woking Town versus Oxford United. So, I'd be definitely cheering on Woking Town for obvious reasons. And then we've also got Torquay United, who are home to Derby County. So that in terms of size of clubs, um, you know, Torquay, obviously previously of the Football League, but have been in the non-league scene as well. Um, Obviously, it's going to be one of those matchups where you expect there to potentially be a good game there. I expect it to be quite tough. Um, But yeah, I think nothing else otherwise stands out from those games. So I think we'll definitely have to reflect on Monday's uh, show whether we saw any particular banana skins from those. But yeah, no, I'll be definitely fascinated to see what happens. So um, right, we're going to take a bit of a break. And then on the next section, we will be talking about Qatar and some certain World Cup developments. Hi, my name is Dimitri Constantopoulos and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian Podcast. 
Now, we're not very far from the World Cup kicking off, but off the pitch, Andy, we've been hearing of some rather unsavoury stories, it has to be said, and it's been over the last few days that we're seeing a lot more sight of these stories. So um, I know you were quite keen for us as a pod to kind of digest this and talk a little bit more about them, but from the kind of few that you have seen, what has been the most gruesome that you've come across? Yeah, it's been some um it's been some quite grim ones this week. Um, you know, I guess there's a bit of a trigger warning for anyone who might be affected by it, um, by mm. stories of sexual assault. But there was widely circulated news the other day that, you know, a, a, a journalist who'd been effectively lured a uh, Qatari local, sorry, who'd been yeah. lured to a hotel, um, had been and as a result, sexually assaulted by, you know, numerous um other men, you know, to sort of to make an example out of him or uh, whichever and it's just um it goes very much in the theme of uh, there's been an awful lot of talk about um you know lgbt uh rights over in guitar now homosexuality is illegal over there uh, and you know that's been known for many many years now in the lead up to the world cup the Qatari authorities have given um, assurances that um, you know members of the LGBTQ community can you know go watch the games in Qatar without you know without any danger. Um, the English FA have their own part to play in this. We're going yet. Yeah, we've had the assurances that we need. It's absolutely fine. Um, and then you're seeing a lot of these stories coming out. I think one of the officials on his official Twitter account saying you know. There is no room for homosexuality in this country. Mm. Um, you know, you have to respect our rules. You've had the own, you know, the own, our own UK minister, James Cleverly, um, of a, you know, our current government. Um, and you know, you said it was bad, horrendously worded. Um, mm. you know, Cleverly said that Qatar was willing to make compromises to allow <laughs> people who would normally prosecute to attend the tournament. Like I'm sorry, but um, you know, you shouldn't have to compromise just to let people just to let people with a different sexual orientation into your country. Um, it, it's just you know, it's, it's essentially saying don't be too gay while you're over there. And I know that's really horrendous language to use, uh, but that's effectively the message that they're putting out at the moment. And I don't, you know, if I was a member of the LGBTQ community, I wouldn't 100% not feel safe um, mm. going to that environment. And I think um, there's one of the athletic journalists, Adam Crafton, who yeah. is, um, you know, who is a member openly of that community? Gay, yeah. yeah, he's openly gay, and he's um, the amount of abuse he gets mm. whenever he posts about Newcastle or Qatar and their human rights <laughs> record, especially to you know people with a homosexual um, you know leaning. Um, he gets dog he gets dogs abuse for it, and mm. you know the reality is is that despite all the PR that's out there. Um, there is absolutely no way that I could see an openly LGBTQ couple um, going over to Qatar and other than hiding it, being able to be comfortable there. And I think yeah. that's a real shame. And the fact we're having a World Cup in a country in which it's um, they discriminate so heavily, I think is outrageous. Now, you know, in the interest of balance, Qatar are not the only country that have... No. Um, backwards attitudes against homosexuality um i think we've discussed before you know poland who co-hosted the euros uh, a few years ago they've got quite a few issues of it hungary is another country where they've um 
you know, they've demonstrated uh, they've been outright violence against people of that community. So it's not, yeah. it's not, a, it's not just a Middle East. Not uncommon. No. It's not just a Qatar thing. It's you know, it's it's a problem that affects many countries all over the world, including our own. Uh, but I think maybe in Qatar, the fact they've got a World Cup in the manner that they have, and the fact they've not really tried to, um, and I think in terms of firm stances, I think one of the strongest starts as it gets to world cup has come from beth mead um now she's for those who don't know she's you know an england newer 22 winner mm. um for the, for the ladies and she's also in an in openly in a relationship with uh, vivian Miedemar um mm. of um, arsenal and you know, obviously with women's football mm. watched over the years it's a completely different culture there and it's generally speaking a lot it's okay to be you know to be you know to buy to be by lesbian gay whichever mm. um and it's a lot of them are very very open with it and you could you know uh, so she's come out and said well there's no the fact it was there you know she's described it as being the complete opposite to what she believes in respect it's not something she'd be backing and promoting you know it's a, it's disappointing it's being held there in the first place um and to be fair there's a much much stronger stance of like you know quite a few of the captors who just said oh they're wearing anti-discrimination armbands. I'm like, what the fuck is that, man? Yeah. Anti-discrimination armband. Like, if you're going to make a protest, you know, at least if you go to the World Cup, fine, I totally get it. But, you know, call it out. You know, do, mm. do, wear the rainbow armband and go, you know, you're specifically an ally for... That, you know, LGBTQ, the, uh, yeah, yeah. Be show that you're an ally for that community by mm. making a statement. Um, uh, yeah, I think... I think there's just a lot of um, stuff that's started to crack through the PR machine at the moment. I mean, on the other, I think there's also another side of it whilst I'm at it is mm. um, this has come and Manchester City have done this as well a little bit or sources from Manchester City is that because there's been such criticism towards, you know, guitar and, you know, their ownership with PSG, their human rights record. A lot of people have gone, they've, a lot of people have taken the line that, the, you know, we're being, it's the Westerners being xenophobic. And mm. I think you have to be fair. I think there is probably some truth in that. I think there is a lot, you know, especially over in Eng what's going on with England and our government at the moment, you can't turn around and say xenophobia doesn't exist in our country, and it does. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I, I suspect there'll be a prejudice towards them because of that. But I think um, although it's a perfectly valid conversation to have, to use it to deflect on their own failings, I think is quite a poor show. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think it's just a World Cup that nobody wanted to be. Nobody wants it in winter. Nobody <laughs> wants it to be in guitar. Most of the people don't feel safe in there. There's workers that have lost their lives, and they, you know, their needs and concerns have just been overridden by the celebrity endorsements of Qatar. You know, you've had the likes of Gary Neville and David Beckham, they've yeah. to arrive, and my greatly from my childhood, who I feel have made an awful move by essentially definitely yeah taking a shit to the cash to promote <clears> it. So, yeah, I think it's just disappointing, but very very predictable. Yeah, <clears throat> unfortunately, yeah. And I think just to add to that, we've got the human rights element as well. So recently, the Qatari minister down there has dismissed the kind of uh, 
funds that have been set aside essentially for the abuse that took place during the construction of these stadiums. So he's basically said that the compensation scheme is not going to exist. It's going to be pulled. He feels that there's some existing kind of rewards and schemes out there that are sufficient. And that's had a lot of heavy criticism, which just kind of highlights how many issues there are in Qatar. There's more than just what we're just highlighting right now. And I don't know, Andy, if there's any others that have kind of crept your eyes around the Qatar situation, but I, I suspect there'll be furthermore as the days lead to the World Cup starting as well. Yeah, I think, um, you know, even Gareth Southgate, somebody who's normally quite careful and good mm. with his words you know he's been criticized for human rights group after saying workers of Qatar were united in wanting the world cup to go ahead um i mean i i think that was a poor choice of words like if a family member of mine died because of the way that they treated in Qatar, building a stadium i think the last thing i'd be caring about is making is ensuring everybody has a good time <laughs> yeah. um so yeah i think it's um yeah, it's just, it's a disappointing comment for somebody who you usually tends to be on the right side of these kind of arguments. Um, but yeah, and I think you're going to see a lot more of it in the coming weeks. You're going to see it during the tournament. Um, I, I think it's just going to, like I said, I think the tournament's going to be a bit of a shit show, to be perfectly honest. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, if it was to be summed up in one picture, I don't know if you saw it, Andy, um, the crates that were in the middle of the desert <laughs> for a $260 stay vacation down there. So, um, yeah, surely nothing could go wrong when you've got that many crates together. And I believe from what I heard, and whether that's true or not, I don't know, but apparently right dead bang opposite is a bar so you know it's just inviting some trouble to take place because although they are quite strict in terms of the use of alcohol down there i expect fans will go there not knowingly will just carry on and break the law and then find out the hard way when they've got a huge fine plus being in jail in one of those jails so uh yeah um that kind of sums up this World Cup update, I suppose, Andy. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to highlight before we move no, on. No, I mean, I'm sure they'll be next week. We can move on easy enough. It's fine. Fantastic. Well, let's move on to a beloved Premier League. Um, so we'll look at the kind of updates in terms of fixtures that are going to take place over the weekend. Um, so we'll start off with Saturday. And I have to say, Andy, there wasn't too many to pull out of Saturday, but the two games that I did want to call out, one was something you mentioned, which was Leeds versus Bournemouth on Monday's show. Yeah. And then I've called out also Forest versus Brentford. But just to go through a run of the other fixtures, so we've got Man City taking on Fulham, Wolves versus Brighton, and then we've also got Everton versus Leicester. I think, yeah, you know what? I overlooked that on Monday, to be honest. I think that'll be... Because they're both quite big teams who not played mm. too well this season. And, um, you know, although Everton has shown a bit more solid Darity is actually only three points between 18th, which is where Leicester City yeah. are, and 14th in 12th position where Everton are. Like that is a big so tight. It's so a big tight. um I think it's a big I think both teams will see it as a big opportunity to um either steer themselves clear or drag other people into it. So yeah. Mm. What do you make of Bournemouth's situation then? So Bournemouth are currently in 14th place, just above Leeds, um, and there's a one-point difference. Leeds have a better goal difference ratio at the moment because Bournemouth 
minus 16. Can't believe that already at this stage. Um, but most yeah. of that game against Liverpool, didn't they? Take away those nine goals yeah. and they might be in a better position, yeah. right? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a must-win game for both sides, right? And um, Bournemouth haven't been playing too badly, I, t- I have to say. Um, but I think it just is the bit of quality that other sides have over them, right? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, with Bournemouth with a squad that they've got, I don't think anybody would really be, I don't think they'll complain if they go straight back down to the championship. And I think the fact they, anything anything above 17th will be a massive achievement for Bournemouth. Um, it's, and I, I think it'd be huge for them, you know, they still haven't really got a permanent manager. They didn't really invest particularly heavily over the summer. Um, you know, they've ground out some results. And I think, Probably as my estimation is as the season goes on, I suspect that, you know, once Leicester City start picking up points, which they have done in recent games, um, you know, Wolves, I can see Southampton and you know, Villa with a new management mm-hmm. with under Emery. Um, I can see them getting out of it. Um, I feel that for that last relegation spot, I genuinely think it could be um, Bournemouth and Southampton fighting it out between themselves to South Coast rivals. So, yeah. Did you anticipate Southampton to struggle as much as they have so far for this first part of the season? Yeah, to a point, yeah. Uh, they've obviously, they've although they've invested quite a lot of money, they've mm. put a lot of money onto a lot of untested, um, you know, um, largely unproven youngsters. Yeah. And, you know, when when you take that kind of gamble, it's you kind of you're essentially relying on them to come good as time goes on uh, or as the season goes on. And mm. um, and I think it's always been. A, I think I, I speak to a couple of uh, Southampton fans on the WhatsApp group that I've got uh, for like Cod and that, and they're both saying that um, they feel that you know Ralph's time is coming to an end, but because he. Every, but they feel that every time Ralph goes on a losing streak, he'll pull a result out of nowhere. You know, like they did against, uh, I think it was Chelsea, I think. Yeah. Um, and so they, they have that capacity within them. Um, but it's uh, it's not a huge surprise that they are where they are, to be fair. Yeah. The only reason I ask that is from the top of my head, without looking at fixture lists, I don't think they've played too many of the big sides. And that's what, if you're a Southampton fan, maybe a bit worried because... Obviously, you've got a fair few like of the big clubs still to play yourself. And I'm just thinking maybe they've had the easier run so far. So to find themselves that low might be a bit of a struggle come to the second part of the season. But we'll wait and see. Um, but the other game that I did want to call out was Forest versus Brentford. Now, the reason I've called that out is if Forest win and providing teams above them lose, they get themselves out of the relegation mix. I mean... I know we've been saying how, you know, Steve Cooper is trying to get something out of this squad right now or trying to get some consistency. Um, could you see themselves pulling themselves out this weekend? It's doable. Uh, yeah. They've got, you know, five you know five points out their past uh, five games. Like, they've shown a little bit of grit and determination. I think the problem with signing, you know, 82 players and trying to find the best 11 <laughs> out of them, uh, well, 24, so I exaggerate. There's <laughs> still a lot of players. It's it still feels like 82. Though, yeah, it? it's, it's two and a bit full 11s, more or less. Um, so there's always going to be a hint of chaos with it um because of the best win in the world when you've got 20 players arriving for pre-season and beyond and you're trying to at the same time 
mold them into a um a coherent outfit is a huge huge challenge and i think maybe that's why steve cooper got the contract that he did because i think maybe there was an acknowledgement that um there's only so much you can do with the amount of players that we've brought in and they sat yeah. all the recruitment staff and i think they've had some absolute poundings um yeah. in recent months but you know they got obviously that big mass that massive result they got against liverpool has given them a chance and brentford's away from home don't, don't tend to be particularly great it's fair to say mm. um and i think not a good forest they'll see that as a game they should win um mm. on saturday and I think given they've got, um, I say they're also at home to Palace just before the um, the World Cup. Um, so I feel that the next two home games for them will dictate, will be a good guide as to where they might end up because those yeah. are the kind of teams on a home on a home match with the crowd and the big support that they've got, to be fair. Mm. I think that will, um, could potentially swing it for them. Well, let's look into Super Sunday, as Sky Sports would call it. So we have got Chelsea versus Arsenal. I'm sure Rory is cursing that he can't make this pod just to kind of tell us how Arsenal are going to win this game. But um, <laughs> we'll also talk about the other games. So we've got Villa versus Man United, Southampton versus Newcastle, West Ham versus Crystal Palace and Spurs take on Liverpool. Um, let's start off with Chelsea and Arsenal. Um it's a bit of a strange one because normally you find these fixtures to go either way. There doesn't seem to be uh, equilibrium. There doesn't seem to be like a middle ground with these two. Which way do you think it's going to go, Andy? <sighs> Difficult to say. Um, I think, you know, Chelsea had an absolute stinker against Brighton. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're absolutely god awful. I think, mm-hmm. uh, to be honest, I could back Arsenal in this one um, because, you know, I think Chelsea under Grey Potter still finding their way a little bit you know they're still trying to find that correct formula um to becoming a really consistent outfit but um those games tend to be absolute carnage like the mm. you know i've seen plenty of goals over the years red cards you know fights it's a very feisty derby yeah. um so if i was to put money on it i'd be like yep arsenal but uh probably favorites for that one but it yeah. would shock me if um, Chelsea turned up, put in a performance and got a result. And having said that, now that we've said it as a pod, it's definitely going to end up as a draw. So we'll discount everything it'll be, it'll we've be just nil, said yeah. now. It'll be <laughs> nil-nil. It'll be a ship game. And, um, yeah, I, I'm, we're sorry in advance. Yeah, sorry, Rory. Um, but yeah, let, let's introduce Villa's new manager, Unai Emery. He is now officially on board. He did take his first training session on uh, Tuesday. He looks very, um, what's the right word? Energetic, it seems, yeah. from the pictures that were shown. Surprising because it's Birmingham compared to Villarreal, where it was probably hotter climates. But um, Andy, what you, what kind of reaction do you expect from this Villa squad because they've been doing quite well since Steven Gerrard has moved on obviously they take on your very own Man United who are in better shape now it has to be said and I think if I was a betting man I'd actually probably tip Man United to win this match what's what's your thoughts yeah I think um, you know obviously bias but no I think I I genuinely expect Manchester United to win that game um I think we've got you know largely better players uh we've got the quality in the squad and the 
you know, we've got a coherent tactical plan to do it. And I think away from home, playing of a counter-attack, which we probably end up doing on occasion, um, I think will suit Manchester United really well. So, yeah, I think with the performances in recent weeks, I, I genuinely see us beating Aston Villa. And it's a game we should be winning quite comfortably. I think, um, you know, saying that, I think it's, we've probably picked a good time to play Villa. Um, well, apart from when Stephen Gerald was still there, otherwise what we'd be doing about 6-0. <laughs> uh, but I think, you know, with Emery, we've only had like a couple of training sessions. I, you know, it will take him a little while to get his ideas across. So I think, um, yeah, I can see that that should be a comfortable win. Uh, mm. But they still got, they have got the players to cause damage. Dan, you know, Danny Ings, Ollie Watkins, quite a formidable front line. Uh, Coutinho was, you know, especially in his Liverpool days, has wreaked absolute havoc on Manchester United uh, when he's played mm. against them in the past. And um, you know, even last year, he was quite a bit of a forward on our side for that one. So yeah, you know, they've got they've certainly got the potential, and they've certainly got the potential. Uh, yes, but uh, I like I said, I'm reasonably confident that they won't. So mm. we'll, see, we'll see what happens next week. I'm going to quickly skim to Spurs versus Liverpool because this was a game that you actually fancy Spurs to potentially beat Liverpool. Um, I'm much of the same kind of feeling because of the way Liverpool have been playing of late. Um, let's give get your thoughts first. So Spurs versus Liverpool. How, how do you think the match is going to pan out? I think. Um... I, I think the whichever whichever side makes the least defensive errors will win that one. You know, they're both they're both prone to a bit of a howl yeah. there. And I think with um Liverpool was struggling at the moment because you know I feel like they've lost a lot of that um spark, especially in midfield at the moment, which I feel is looking really, really lightweight. Um, mm. you know, it feels like they're you know, with Darwin Nunes as well, like, although he's got a couple of girls, it feels like he's been shoehorned into the side a little bit. Um, it doesn't seem to quite fit the way that they want to play. Um, so, yeah, I think I think what you see with Liverpool is just that it's a side that's in obvious need of a bit of regeneration. Um, mm. And I think, although on one-off games, they can still put in fantastic performances. And trust me, like, we, we, as much as we rip, rip apart Liverpool now, it genuinely would not shock me if they ended with them in the, court, the semi-finals or final of the Champions League because they are that kind of club that could get up for a cut game on a do-or-die occasion and put in a performance. Um, but I think in the slog of a league season trying to put in performances week in week out and having had two defeats on the bounce against teams who probably should be beating um i think they could be a bit of a struggle yeah definitely i think the key here for liverpool is the midfield really um tiago's bit of a glass legs moment i think he kind of seems to be quite fragile at the moment so and he seems to be the player that they are relying on this season alongside harvey elliott to be fair so um It'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Like you say, I think it's down to who creates or has the least amount of errors for this match and who can take the most of the opportunities. We didn't touch on Son as well because he had a horrific injury against Marseille. So, yeah, he's yeah, out for at least 16 days because he's had to have a straight away an operation on his eye socket, which like, that that's horrific. Yeah, I think um, there's going to be, I think, we're getting to what the last couple of fixtures now yeah. before the World Cup, and um, you do wonder if, like, subconsciously, you know, some of the big names might not be 
going at it 100%, trying to avoid injuries and stuff like yeah. that, because it's not a very, very short turnaround. And I think I'm calling it now, there's going to be some big players that are going to get injured over the next week, like real big names. Mm. They're going to get injured over the next couple of weeks and they're going to end up being knocked out of the World Cup. Like, especially for as an England fan, it would not surprise me if like Harry Kane got himself clattered <laughs> a week, yeah, you know, a week before the tournament. And, and yeah. Would not surprise me. I mean, if it, I think right now you could almost make an 11 because if you think about it, Pogba's out of the World Cup, Kante's out of the World Cup, got Reese James who is out of the World Cup, I think, right now, officially. Um, ben Chilwell doesn't look too great ahead of, because I don't know if you saw no. the scenes, he was carried off on uh, Tuesday night, I think, no, Wednesday night even. Um, so, yeah, I think it's getting close to that. So, um, fingers crossed. Hopefully, a lot of these players still make it to the World Cup. But, um, yeah, let's leave it there. So, Annie, I'm going to give you a bit of a break because we're going to talk about Serie A for the last eight minutes here. So, Serie A kicks off on Friday night. So we've got Udinese versus Lecce. Udinese, who haven't been in particularly great form, needing to get some points here against a Lecce side that probably need the points just to make sure they're above the relegation zone as it currently stands. So that shouldn't be an enthralling match by any stretch of imagination, Andy, or for our listeners. But um, yeah, if you fancy something different, feel free to tune in on Friday for that match. But then we go into Saturday and it's a bit more interesting because the big game that is on Saturday is Atalanta versus Napoli. Napoli, who have been in incredible form. But Atalanta, obviously, have also been in great form. Um, Andy, just quick thoughts on this one. I mean, in terms of a matchup, this is probably the best you can get at this stage of the season. Um, what do you think of Atalanta's chances? Um, they're going to have to be defensively really, really on it, which they haven't always been this yeah. season. They do have a habit of casinos of sloppy goals. Um, but they you know both of them are in sort of good form uh but i feel napoli have just got so much momentum and the quality mm. most importantly their way at the moment um i think i could see them getting the, i could still see them getting the result absolutely yeah no definitely um but yeah it'd be fascinating to see how that match pans out because i i do fancy this to be a score draw I think it's going to be one of those oh, games okay. that potentially, I mean, because I'm just thinking Napoli might want to uh, rest a few of their players that they played during the week. Um, we'll wait and see. We'll see. I, I, I do expect Napoli to go there gung-ho, certainly in the first half, um, maybe to try and kill off the match straight away. We'll wait and see, though. Um, in the other games that do take place on Saturday, though, we've got Milan versus Spezia. Um, Pioli signed a new contract at the beginning of this week, uh, signing on until 2025. Um, he needs to get back to winning ways after that shock result against Torino. Um, currently lie as it stands in third position, but yeah, a good six points off Napoli. So a win here would be definitely welcome. We've also got Salernitana versus Cremonese. So Salernitana, as we spoke on Monday night, having a fantastic season so far against Cremonese, who are currently struggling there at the bottom of the table on level points with Hellas Verona. And then we've got Empoli versus Sassuolo. That should be an entertaining game because Sassuolo have been on not a great run, it has to be said, but this could be a chance for them to get all three points. 
But the big games do take place on Sunday, Andy. So we have got Bologna versus Torino, which doesn't sound like an infording match, but trust me, they can go hammer and tong at each other. We've also got Monza versus Hellas Verona, but these are the big games that I'm going to announce right now. So Sampdoria versus Fiorentina, one of those sides that back in your 90s and 80s, you would have said one of the top sides these days, probably struggling in mid-table, but Sampdoria have been struggling of late. And then we've got the uh, Derby de Capitale. So we've got Roma versus Lazio. And then we've got that followed by the Derby d'Italia, which is Juventus versus Inter. So, Andy, if we start off with Roma versus Lazio, we did speak on Monday's show about a certain Sergei Malinkovic-Savic missing for Lazio. Um, but Roma, they have got the tendency to throw it away, especially when it comes to the big games. Um, do you think Jose Mourinho will have the edge over Sarri Ball? Oh, I, I think I think I can see Jose shithousing a big win. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, although their performances don't always match up, they still they have at the end of the day won four of their five, uh, five yeah, four out of their five league games and. They have still got the quality of personnel, you know, mm. to be able to turn it round. Um, you know, you know, there'll be Zadiolo. Um, you know, he's had a thankfully a largely free start to the season, and I think he'll be um, a massive influencer in that one. Uh, but I think with Lazio, I think uh, between those two, it's going to be whichever one. I know it sounds a horrible cliche, but whichever one turns up on the day, because they've both got players yeah. that sets of players that they could turn it on but it's just a consistency that both teams lack yeah um, exactly very true and it, it'd be nice for tammy abraham to get on the score sheet for this one yeah well. he's, he's somebody i think he, need, he needs a couple of goals at the moment uh yeah. they won't, they've not been flying for him particularly well uh this season yeah it hits him um, on the arse or something and goes in. Yeah. That's all you need, basically. Well, I just think it, yeah, the Derby Capitala, that's all you need. It's just need to bounce it off your arse and go in. <laughs> and then finally, we'll talk about Derby d'Italia, which is Juventus versus Inter. Juventus seem to be in high spirits, Andy. I saw a certain Adrian Rabio talking up the chances of Juventus, um, but we did kind of marvel at the wonders of Inter over that result against Sampdoria, in particular Nicola Barella, who is on form. He's doing quite well alongside Lutaro Martinez. Which way do you fancy this to go? Yeah, I think um, it'll, it'll be I think it'd be a really good game. Um I think in I don't think you Juventus are in the um form or have the personnel really to really I don't see them beating Inter at the moment. I just don't mm. think they're in a place. They're not in good enough form. They haven't got, um, they're not playing good enough football tactically. Um, and I felt, especially watching into last week in the form with like some Barella is on, you know, Martinez having a good season, the car could come in back from injury, uh, to, yeah. you know, boost up what is already a very you know, strong, strong team. Um, and I feel like Inter should, although it's away from home, should be looking to win that. Um, I really do. Like, you know, Juve at the moment are there for the taking, especially if you're one of the top teams in Italy mm. right now. Um, so, yeah, I could I could see Inter winning that quite comfortably, to be perfectly honest with you. We'll wait and see. Certainly, I think the kids at Juventus are going to be up for this game, but we'll wait and see. We'll review it on Monday night's show. So, Andy, we're going to come to the end of this particular podcast. So, uh, before we lead out and say our dues, is there any other things that you wanted to say before we go into the weekend? 
No, um, not at this particular point, but um, yeah, hopefully uh, we have a good weekend of football and uh, we've got some great stories to catch up on uh, Monday. Brilliant stuff. Well, thank you, Andy, for your efforts today. It's been great talking to you. Make sure, listener, you subscribe to our Instagram account at Anglo Italian Podcast. We are also on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod. And make sure you also capture and watch our YouTube series on the World Cup. So youtube.com forward slash the Anglo Italian Podcast. I am now going to read out the signing out quote, and this comes from a certain Roberto Di Matteo on the FA Cup. And he said, in the FA Cup, you always have to expect the unexpected. And with that, we'll see you next week. Take care, guys. Bye.